You're listening to the podcast that John Oliver loves to hate, Rogue Liberty. Something a little bit different today. Uh, I have my uh, my old friend, well, old as in a year old friend. <laughs> yes. Since the uh, COVID pandemic, uh, yeah. ambassador is what he goes by. He yes. has a YouTube channel. Um, would you like to watch your YouTube channel? It's called the Ambassadorial Wing, and it's a it's mainly focused on eighties pop culture and nostalgia is that right uh, it's focused or... on it's focused primarily on what i would like to term or uh as a uh, retro pop culture which does include the 80s the 90s into the early 2000s and so on and i do delve into other eras as well from time to time but yeah that's the primary focus so. And uh, because my my audience my audience is primarily um, or actually completely uh, libertarian uh, slash anarcho capitalist, mm-hmm. um, what you're not a libertarian? That's right. So that's so people don't come to you um, and think it's a libertarian. Oh, no. oh, I've never really spoke to you about this ever. So it's, it's I'm in terms of my political leanings. I am more. Um, conservative moderate centrist i do see some uh some uh positions on the left side of things the not far left extreme but some of the more moderate left that in terms of political or social ideas that i can support and i do um do believe that i do have some benefit but i don't go to the extreme on either side that's not my that's not my mindset so by a stretch and um, you are kind of you're, you. You've been studying for a while now to be a pastor, right? A pastor. Yes. Yeah. A uh, a pastor in the um, the Protestant denomination. Uh, I'm currently uh, have been for at least two or three years. Now. I've been a uh, Methodist or a United Methodist um, within the uh, within that particular uh, Protestant denomination here in the U.S. <laughs> So um, if you haven't picked up on my on my Yankee um, accent, I am from I am from the Midwest in the United States. That's I was born and raised in India and I have been here all my life. Uh, that's, that's great. I, I had a, a friend from um, from Indiana who uh, sadly passed away last year on 4th of July. But, uh, yeah, it's, mm. it's a very familiar accent you have um, mm-hmm. with him. Um, the. The whole route of going to pastor was that. Um, what made you want to, to take that route? The motivation, um, I can give you the short version. I was raised Protestant all my life. Um, I was part of my family was part of the um, what was known as the United Church of Christ, and we departed from that denomination in the late eighties. Due to due to some denominational decisions that were made by the 
the hierarchy of the denomination that we could not endorse or can support. I became a non-denominational Christian in 2009 or 2010, and I was in that denomination or was non-denominational until 2012-ish. I was briefly a Pentecostal, uh, a General Baptist, and now a Methodist. Um, I'm actually in a, uh, a interdenominational marriage. My, I am a Protestant. My wife is Catholic. So, and I do have a, I do have appreciation for the Catholic faith. I do know that there are some issues with that, with the Catholic Church and everything. I, I acknowledge those issues, and I don't necessarily condone what some, some of the decisions that the leadership of the Protestant of the Catholic Church have made. But as far as interacting with people of that faith, I have no problem with them. Um, I actually have a, even though I am Protestant, I do have a deep, I have a deep appreciation for the seriousness tone that they take with how they worship and how they, how they format, for lack of a better term, how they do a worship service. So for me, it's a, it is a more, I think a more authentic reflection of how worship was done in the first and second century church and going into the, and going into the later decades of the, of the, of the AD period, the Anno Domine, the, the year of our Lord, uh, going after the, the first and second and third century churches when, um, or church when worship was more i'm not saying i'm not saying worship in the modern church is inauthentic but i see what the catholic church does and i have a very strong appreciation for it and it is due in part not just to do to my seminary studies but also due to my wife I mean, she respects the fact I we, when I met, I was I have been a Protestant. She understood that. I understood she was a Catholic, and our marriage works despite that yeah. fact. Um, because in this day and age, it's much easier for for that kind of. It's no longer taboo mm-hmm. as it once was. Um, so it the the fact there's no social pressure on that makes it much easier for that kind that of relationship true. to flourish. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the very <laughs> difficult for me to relate to the religion stuff, but I'm, I'm sure plenty of my audience will mm-hmm. relate to that and understand that and appreciate what you said, sure. whether the mm-hmm. whichever side um, of the uh, Christian faith they're on. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, one moment. Saves me cutting my cough out later that I've just done. Um, <laughs> the so with your channel. Because um, when I started talking to you, it was when we were taking part in the what was called no. then the Grey Order, yeah. and it the Grey Order it, that is now defunct. Yeah, is it? Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm not caught up at all in anything that's going on in those circles. Um, well, if you want the short version, um, shortly after I left, everything started to go sideways. Um, there was a certain member he saw himself as the head of the whole shebang started associating with other channels that were deemed or viewed as very negative very toxic and the majority of the rest of the the group didn't really want to be associated with those parties and 
essentially from there, the group pretty much imploded, but I was outside looking in at that point because I had a difference of opinion and with the, with the, with the one gentleman and I said my piece, he went on a tirade and I was like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. So I departed and I pretty much that's honestly, it's so far in the rear view mirror at this point. It's, yeah. it is what it is. And the whole idea behind that was um, kind of like, yeah. the... it was supposed, it was supposed to be kind of a counter group to the fandom menace, trying to be a more positive for, uh, group uh, that focused on what was good in pop culture and particularly in Star Wars, rather than just berating Disney and Lucasfilm and the leadership and the creatives within that company 24 yeah. seven. So it's something I tried to do, but it, it, it got to a point to me where the, um, the wokeness and the culture and seeing the effect of it, um, yeah. it was, was very, very, um, impossible to ignore. So point it takes you out of your, what, what is your escape? And I think that's why I do go back to the older stuff generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty of that about that I've missed. And but also to not really take part in what I see as clearly a divide and conquer. This is a something I've come around to recently. I was not a um mm-hmm. on board with this idea originally, but I think it's clearly a divide and conquer game by the um powers of B because um the the the, the great um libertarian podcast and comic uh dave smith pointed out and he made this point very clearly and uh it's even posted a meme which illustrated perfectly how he had the occupy process in 2012 10 years uh like eight years later the um the left are on a bus uh with all this like uh lgbtq stuff sponsored by jp morgan <laughs> so it's pretty clear that when this stuff came about, it was to distract and turn the left, not only on each other, uh, on, on priority of what to, um, what's important, but mm-hmm. also to turn the culture like people against each other and keep them fighting. Uh, so yeah. it's, 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 to me, it's very much a, for the most part, I ignore it. Uh, I will speak on it from time to time, and I probably will speak on it more in the future, but uh, mm-hmm. For now, it's like I don't want to be part of this uh, game of dividing against my fellow people. If you know what I mean, like just yes. Mm-hmm. No, I, I follow you. I do follow you. Um, you know, the the interesting thing is, and this is something that I do, I do have a stance on. I don't want the media that I can that I that I watch and that I read and so on to be oversaturated with social political commentary. Now I do, I do acknowledge that there is media from the past that did at times address certain social political issues and, but did it creatively. It wasn't so ham fisted and so in your face that it just became blatant and it turned your audience off. For example, Star Trek TNG uh, and Mm -hmm. the original Star Trek series. It's not very clear Mm -hmm. that uh, they're doing this, like, you know, exactly. kind of values, but then when you watch the modern day Star Trek, it's very clear there's no tact. Yeah, and 
there's there are certain there are certain people that I do associate with online that do like modern Trek, and I say to them, you know what, hey, that's your thing, you enjoy it, all good on you. Um, I'm not going to tell you that your your enjoyment of a particular piece of media is invalid, mm-hmm. but yeah, with with um, with old school Trek, uh, like uh, the original, the original series, next generation, deep space nine, Voyager enterprise, and so on. They did try to tell good stories and did try to have a message that was woven well within the narrative of the particular episode or movie or whatever. But from what I have heard, because I haven't, honestly, I haven't watched discovery. I haven't watched Picard. Because, well, for one, I don't want to pay for another bloody streaming service. <laughs> but for me, I just, I like Star Trek, but it's not one of my top favorites. I have enough old, good Star Trek media that I can go back and rewatch or whatever and still gain enjoyment from it. And I'm good with that because you've got from the 1960s up into the early 2000s of to one degree or another entertaining, insightful and quality Star Trek media. And if you so, watch them every few years as well, I find like if I go back to Star Trek, uh, mm-hmm. now it's been probably two years since the last of what like sat through this, uh, both the original series and it's been about three years actually. And CNG, if mm-hmm. I go back to it now, I will find new lessons in them because my own, because mm-hmm. of my own growth from perspective has changed a lot since then. Uh, yes. Um, and I find that also with Star Wars, <clears throat> uh, no matter how many times I watch it, I will notice something new and different. So I don't necessarily need new Star Wars all the time. Um, yeah. If it was to end, which I think, in my view, would be preferable if it was just to be put to bed at this point, um, yeah. then there's still so much to to not only read, but mm-hmm. also to go back to and see it something completely different from a different perspective and appreciate yeah. um I, I know i understand you're more of a babylon uh babylon five yeah. yeah i have been since i was first when i first started watching babylon five back in the mid 90s i on in syndication it has been a part of my pop culture lexicon personally ever since then because it had a lot of deep themes. It had a lot of very good quality writing. It had good acting. And it explored very much in the same way that Star Trek does the human condition. The the various aspects of what it means to be human. But it does it not just with the human characters, it does it with the alien characters like the various races that do inhabit the Babylon 5 universe. The Vorlons, the Centauri, the Mimbari, the uh, Narn, and so on. And that for me is, it has been the cornerstone of my channels ever since I started it. We're currently working on season three of the series doing a a weekly uh, review of each episode. We spend, we just spend one whole hour or however long we go for just breaking down a single episode and we always me and the rest of my panel we always come out with something insightful from it it's not for a show that aired in the 90s and ended i think in the early aughts it still is riveting television it's still riveting media it's still 
is engaging and it's it's not a surprise to me that within the online sphere the uh, the amount of support and fan base that still exists for a show i mean i could tell you just from personal experience there are reddit pages dedicated to babylon 5 there are facebook groups dedicated to babylon 5 i'm sure there's something on instagram but within the online sphere babylon 5 is by no means long or forgotten it may have made it i would say i would say very much so particularly since uh hbo max uh, did a remaster of the digital effects and uploaded the first the, the all five seasons. Now they have not uploaded any of the television movies as of yet, or uploaded the uh, spinoff series Crusade. But you do have the the five seasons of the main series on HBO Max, and people are rediscovering or discovering this series for the very first time. It's been very it's been very insightful and refreshing for me, particularly as a YouTuber for people either that I talk with on a regular basis or that just pop up out of the blue and say, Hey ambassador, I'm, I'm watching Babylon five for the very first time. And it's partially due to you talking about it as much as you have. And for me, it's just, it's not so much self gratifying, but it's nice to know that, my voice is having an impact in a positive manner to introduce people to the show that they may may have never been exposed to before. Which was part of the reason you made your channel in the first place. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Babylon five, like I said, has been the, uh, been one of the cornerstones of my channel since I started back in late uh, 2019. I did character reviews or breakdowns of all the major characters and then I moved into the series proper. And like I said, we're in season three. We're going to be doing, uh, once we come to the next TV movie, which will be Third Space, which takes place chronologically in between two of the major conflicts within the series. Uh, we're going to do, me and the rest of my panel, my group, we call I call we call ourselves the Council of Ones, which is kind of a, um, it's a playoff of a particular group or uh, within the Babylon 5 mythos. And we're going to do a watch party for third space at some point when we hit that when we hit that so, chronological point. In case some of my audience, relatively small audience, because this is obviously a new podcast, are not familiar mm-hmm. with Babylon Five, mm-hmm. or maybe have seen it in the past but never really properly gave it a chance, what are some mm-hmm. of the um, themes which stand out to you, which you are attracted to in it? I think for me the 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 more the most powerful themes are the evolution of the human mind because through the course of the series in particularly one episode we do see the human race evolve into a different state of being uh, and that for me is very intriguing to see where we might be in a, in a, in a million years or more. Um, I think some of the other interesting themes is dealing with, <clears throat> it does do the creator, J. Michael Straczynski. He did a, he has done a very good job with that series in discussing the pursuit of power, the effect of personal ambition, the, the st- um, 
the concept of revenge and how it can be very negative to a person's being and a person's soul. The, the whole concept of faith, because there are many episodes within Bible on five that do address to one degree or another, the concept of personal belief, personal faith in a, either a polytheistic or primarily a monotheistic um, belief structure. Uh, there's one group in particular, the, 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 it's an alien race called the Mimbari, and they have a very particular belief system, or a very, a very interesting one especially. They believe that the universe itself is conscious and that it eventually created organic life us and all the other alien races that ex exist in the B5 and the Babylon 5 universe to explore itself so that it may in turn understand its own being, its own, excuse me, its own conscious. Uh, and I, I found that, as I said at, at the start, I am primarily, I am a monotheistic Christian. I, that is how I was raised. That is what I believe. It's what I believed all my life. But it was a very intriguing concept, the idea that the universe is conscious, because I can plug that into my own faith, my own faith system as a as a as a Protestant Christian and say, well, if God, if there is a God, which I do believe there is, created the universe, then he created us in turn to explore his own creation, because while he may be able to understand it from his own perspective, he would want additional perspective besides that. Hmm. And if, as I, as I say, as a, as, a, as a Christian, I believe that Holy Scripture is authoritative. Um, it is the word of God given to man and is God's will and his desire to be reunited with humanity, reconciled with humanity again. It is in his nature to want to understand the thing, the, the very thing he made. And for us to understand ourselves gives us a perspective on the world in which we inhabit. So in a sense, these, uh, this theme, it brought you an idea which you um, would not have considered yourself and in mm -hmm. a way involved your own thinking on... Um, yes. Yeah, to see, this is one of my main um, drives for this channel. Is my point is mm -hmm. that um, concepts of liberty in our culture have been so eroded. Uh, mm -hmm. The value of liberty, the um, the appreciation of liberty and the individual, to mm -hmm. the point that we have we are going towards a very dystopian direction mm -hmm. at this moment in time, and that the the, the best way in my believe to introduce people to new ideas or to old ideas to bring them back again uh, into this culture is through such media as television, as mm -hmm. comic, as uh, just fiction and all this mm -hmm. culture in general, music, everything. Yes. Um, so it's very interesting that you say that because that's like one of the drive themes of my channel. Mm -hmm. um, also, um, there, there was a very interesting video I watched um, a while ago, which my friend showed me. Have you seen that video called The Egg on YouTube? I cannot honestly say I have, um, to it's be honest with you. Like, uh, I, I, it's not something I believe. 
um, but I found it interesting. Um, mm. Is that the the idea that um, our consciousness is um, like we are like there's a God, and then God has a child, and he sends his child into this world mm-hmm. um, to. It, the story starts out like this. Let me start because obviously they built it this way, so it makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Someone dies. They go to uh, what they think is heaven. They mm-hmm. meet God. God says. Um, God starts asking questions about what they experience and that you know that your family love you and blah blah blah. He then takes them into this like strange world where um, where essentially the uh, he says that you you are my child and my consciousness that here here is your consciousness your actual consciousness shows in this big sea of information and says of um, and that when you are alive you you basically live as every single human being on the planet so everybody you love everybody you hurt every like you, you know you experience their life at some point and the mm-hmm. idea is that uh, that this god sends their child to the world to pick up all this information which is taken back to this stream of massive stream of consciousness mm-hmm. uh, to eventually one day when you've lived as every human being throughout the whole of human time um, be ready to elevate to God's level of understanding of mm-hmm. everything in a way of everything known to man. Mm-hmm. It's a really strange take on reincarnation and it's a very mm-hmm. it's not something I personally believe, I just find it very interesting like these kinds of yes. themes often come up in science fiction and stuff which yes. are extremely creative, I think, uh, and may introduce new forms of theism to people, or um, whether it be um, monotheism or what's the other word again? <laughs> I've lost on the word. Polytheism. Um, polytheism, that's the one. Um, yeah, very interesting concepts. Um, so I know. Um, these themes, which we get, like as you're saying earlier, it's like getting beaten over the head with something uh, in modern TV and such, and modern movies where it really mm-hmm. um, it's over it's over the top. You can see the um, social point, or you know the 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 values they're trying to push. Yes, uh, and it's very it creates a very messy story because to them the the messaging comes first. And when I look at old Star Wars, for example, it's very it's pushing a very clear multiple messages, multiple themes. Yes. But it does agree. so in a way that is so um, tactful, so it doesn't sacrifice story for the theme. Mm-hmm. And it fits so naturally within it that you don't notice that you're actually learning um, lessons. Lessons that I would say are very much um, in line with our kind of like Judaic Christian culture, mm-hmm. um, for example, the idea of um, redemption, the idea of um, the power corrupting um, and powerful people manipulating you, um, mm-hmm. the idea of, of liberty, the idea of um, Anakin as, as an individual is kind of restrained and it kind of makes him do the things he does because he cannot yes. express himself truly. Uh, there's so many, there's just so many in Star Wars, and 
I've, I've, I don't find that with so much with the sequel trilogy. I know this, this is my personal perspective, and I know some people mm. see things that I don't. Some people learn lessons from it, which I do not see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand you are um, doing a kind of fan fiction. On, on yes, um, I'm. Yeah, I've been working on this fan fiction since uh, back in September of last year. The impetus for it is twofold. One, it is good is going to be is going to be dedicated to my late father because he was the one that introduced me to the Star Wars universe, and that is one of my fondest memories of him is us us sharing that viewing of Return of the Jedi, and then just from there it just evolved over my lifetime. The other issue was, and it does tie personally into my own background. When I went to see Rise of Skywalker and they had the ending where Ray takes the Skywalker last name, I did not approve of that. I actually was very strongly and vehemently opposed to that idea because I myself am a, per- am a person who was adopted into a family. I was adopted at birth. Uh, my, my biological parents weren't bad people. They just simply did not feel they were cut out to be parents. My parents wanted a child and the opportunity presented itself and they and they took it. They gave me my name and they, a person's name is part of their identity. Ray has a name, but in my perspective and the perspective that some other people do share, she stole the, a name that did not belong to her, that she did not have ownership or license to. So the, one of the reasons why I started writing this fan fiction, it's actually going, it's, it's kind of metamorphosed into a broader tale that I'm going to tell in two other parts besides the one I'm currently craft writing. One of the themes is Ray finding her place in this universe and throughout the course of these three stories, but uh, she will find her place. But the other focuses of the other two parts will be on Finn and will be on Ben Solo or so. Because I feel that those two characters were sorely and badly mishandled in a narrative in the narrative structure. The other focus of my story is to deal with a conflict that has spanned quite literally the totality of the entire Star Wars mythos from either the movies, the print comics, books, novels, the whole shebang. And that is the constant warfare between the adherents of the force, whether they be on the dark side or the light. And the the, fo- the other focus of my story is to tell how the force is reunified. And it is done through those who have access to it. The character of Supreme Leader Snoke, which who was introduced in The Force Awakens, is one of the prime catalysts for that story. And I actually give him a, I feel, a more satisfactory origin than what was given to us in, well, either the movies or now the, in my perspective, the ill-conceived comic book series um, that uh, are being produced to backfill all the plot holes and gaps and history of the, that leads up to the sequel trilogy. And his origin actually stretches back all the way to before any th- any of the movies or the TV series. Because he is quite literally the crux of my story. 
he he does the character of Snoke, which he has an alternative name, and I don't want to necessarily spoil it here. He does make an appearance in the Clone Wars animated series. I think it's in like season two or three. And it's a story that involves Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka. And they are all present within the story. Granted, it's Anakin, Obi-Wan as Force Ghost, Ahsoka as an older Force wielder, but she still is alive in my story anyway. And what I'm this, the, the title for my story is The Unity of the Force because they are going, the Luke and his group are going to discover this cache of, um, holocrons not to mention ben is going to have another interaction with snoke because in my story snoke he is killed but he has a way of he has a way of surviving his physical form being destroyed so it's a very deep and rich at least that's the term i terminology i would use uh story that i'm trying to tell and I'm trying to do something that they did not do in the sequel trilogy movies, and that's do world building, make the conflict between the two factions, the First Order and the New Republic, have some weight, have some merit. And I've used those two factions to do my world building. That for me has been my process through which I have crafted this fan fiction. I had a gentleman uh, ask me, I did another, uh, I did a podcast with him not too long ago. It was actually about a week or so ago now. And he asked me, he's like, well, you could switch the names around. You could remove all the Star Wars elements from the story and create your own universe, your own story. He's like, why didn't you do that? I was like, "Mm, that wasn't really my, my goal. I mean, it's it's not what Disney did. So, um, (laughs) And his 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 question wasn't with was by no means without merit. I do understand why he asked it. Why didn't I just write my own story? I was like, that wasn't my purpose. I love the Star Wars universe. I have very fond memories of it. I am attached to the lore of it, and I wanted to add my voice to it as well, which so many other people have done. Everything through fan films, through fan fictions, both written and animated, and everything else across the board. You see, for me, George Lucas, love him or hate him, and personally, I don't have a beef against the man. I never have. He very much, I think, operated in the same mind space as another great creative, and that was J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien Greek reinvigorated the fantasy genre, specific, especially overseas and around the world. And he's like, I wanted to create a world where people could come and create their own stories in this world that I have made, but they can add their own voice to it. And if you look at what Lucas has done throughout his career, he has given people the opportunity to craft their own stories within this universe that he made and add their own flourish to it. True. He encouraged fan fiction and um, mm-hmm. yes, made it very welcoming for fans to get into uh, yes. LucasArts and start working within projects and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. No, that's Go fine. Ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just, I was just saying he was a uh, very... 
very much that is very much the idea he had really was um, mm -hmm. he just wanted to teach lessons uh, through through uh, a mythology that's all and obviously that means people he knew people would have their own uh, ideas of it every creator kind of does that they want people to uh, mm -hmm. see to learn their own lessons from it and such and call yes. different like you were saying earlier like how your idea of what god might do is have people explore the ideas and help them learn from it very yes. much is what a creator like george lucas would want which is uh, and fan fiction is a huge part of that so you doing this is very much in the spirit of mm -hmm. what george lucas intended I'm just sorry for cutting you off in the, in the middle of that. No, no, Ro, you're fine. You're completely fine, friend, my friend. Um, the, the, the thing for me was, as I mentioned, this is a very personal story because to certain degrees, I am interjecting a little bit of myself into Ray and Finn and Ben. And there are touches there are elements of my own personal life to one degree or another within this story and will be in the other two parts that i will eventually write because there is there's a portion of dialogue where ray discovers where she came from and it's very raw it's very emotional it's very painful for her I did keep the one particular aspect of her origin from the rise of Skywalker, but I took it and I turned it on its head in a manner of speaking. I added some knowledge of star Wars lore that I had to flesh it out. yet made it more believable and made it more relatable. When Ben tells her on his ship that she is a Palpatine. In my story, Palpatine is dead. There is no resurrection for him. Snoke is the primary protagonist. Ben was for a while, and in the in the first two parts, he will be. But in my story, in this third part, he, Ben goes on a path of redemption, and there is a there is a pivotal moment within that story that is the catalyst for him to finally change and wake up and start listening to his family because there is a conversation between him and his grandfather, Anakin, the Force Ghost of Anakin does appear to Ben and talks to him and says, look, your family still loves you. I may be not physically here, but I still love you. But Snoke is playing on Finn or Ben's mind and his fears and his anxiety and his anger. But Ben has his own issues as well, and he's still trying to work through them. For me, with Ray, when she discovers that she's a Palpatine, that she was essentially a laboratory experiment. The story I tell, and this is a huge spoiler and everything, so I'll, I'll go ahead and share this part. There is a conversation between her and the rest of Luke's group, which is Luke himself, uh, Finn, and the other Force ghosts, uh, Obi-Wan and uh, Yoda. And... Um, when she discovers that she was created in an Imperial lab, that Palpatine's DNA was in, uh, implanted into a female Imperial officer and she carried, carried Ray to term in a facility on Jakku and then abandoned. 
she can't handle it. She's like, no, this can't be true. She's like, she's like, all I am is some laboratory experiment. I am a freak that was crafted in a test tube and then implanted in this woman that I'll probably never see again for the rest of my life. And it's all very visceral for her. And the reason I made it that way is because when I discovered that I was adopted uh, 10 plus years ago now, for me, it was very raw. It was very visceral. It was very painful for me because all, all my life I had this one identity that I had knew was right and was the world I knew. Ray didn't know any of this. There are moments within my story, and again, this isn't a huge spoiler, where she has flashes where she sees or hears Palpatine in her mind, but she doesn't understand why. There's certain moments of dialogue where you almost feel like it isn't her that's speaking, but it's him, but it's her voice. And that's my way of building up this idea, okay, perhaps there's something more to her. And then when it's finally revealed that she was created by Imperial scientists from Palpatine's DNA and then implanted into a, a female uh, Imperial officer for her, it completely shatters her mind and she's Ooh. having to take a lot of time to rebuild her identity. So by the time my, this story ends, and when I tell the rest of the story in parts one and two, she will be able to she will be able to take a name, have an identity, and have a place in the universe that is meaningful for her. Okay. That for me is one of the one of the great themes about the Star Wars universe. It's about family. It yeah. always has it's always first and foremost about family. That's one of the things I do to varying degrees enjoy about some of the new Star Wars media that has been created in terms of, say, Mandalorian, because it does deal with the concept of family, but in a very unconventional sense, because you do have the parent-child dynamic between the Mandalorian and Grogu, or Baby Yoda, yeah. whichever name you prefer to call him by. You have that similar theme with Rebels. They're dealing with the concept of a very unconventional family. Up until a point, Bad Batch was also dealing with that similar theme, but explaining it from a different dynamic. But unfortunately, I did a review. The last couple of weeks, the the wheels have started to come off the wagon for me with uh, with with uh, Bad Batch because it's turned into Fetch Quest One, Fetch Quest Two, and I'm hoping it's not Fetch Quest Three because I want to enjoy Bad Batch. Does it kind of feel like they've, they've played an RPG kind of thing? Like they've been playing I made a, a tabletop I made, game when they've made it? I, I actually made a similar comment last night on my stream when I was discussing Bad Batch. And I was like, if I want to do a fetch quest, I'll hook up Skyrim and I'll go on, I'll go on a quest in there because I'm playing my character. I'm interacting with the world. I'm fighting bandits and wizards and dragons and where and werewolves and vampires and everything across the board that's a fun fetch quest for me but watching one that i can't interact with that to me is boring so did you not I'm, find I, the 
the Mandalorian kind of has those that kind of that quest. It has a very RPG. Um, it did to it, it did to a degree, at least from my perspective. But I was invested in the characters, and the world felt big. Yeah. Something one of my panelists made, uh, mentioned last night was. Bad Batch feels very small. The world feels very, very small. And that is also an issue for me. Because they, yeah. t- they, took, they took one element from Season 7 of uh, the Clone Wars and they spun it off into its own series. But I don't, want just the, I don't want the focus just to be on this certain group of characters. I would like to see what's going, around, going on in, around them in the world I want to see what's going on in the world around them, not just from their perspective. I want to see the establishment of the empire. That to me is interesting. I want to see, I want this to see the startup of the rebellion. Very much the same problem, which the sequel trilogy had as well. Although mm-hmm. the, they did explore, they did show bits of the world, like mm-hmm. the random little bits, but it was never, it never felt like enough. You know what I mean? There was never enough side characters introduced there's never enough um, planets explored. There's never enough kind of, um, like you said, you don't see the Empire or the Republic kind of thing. Or, or the, the, the Rebellion. The yeah, yeah. This is a pivotal moment in history. This is when the Rebellion starting to get for the starting to form. Hmm. One of the things that, like I mentioned, that I wanted to do with my story, with my fan fiction, is I wanted to flesh out the world. So I used the characters that had already existed either from the original trilogy or the sequel trilogy, but I also crafted characters of my own. I've got characters on both sides, both for the the Republic and for the First Order and the Imperial Remnant, because I do have the Imperial Remnant as an active participant in this period in history. Because I always found the concept of the Imperial Remnant very intriguing as like, I want to add in something just a little extra to help build the world out more. And I've got soldiers, I've got officers, I've got different alien races that are established within the universe. Two in particular that didn't haven't seen a lot of exposure in Star Wars media are two races called the Arcanians and the Chiss. Now, everybody knows who the Chiss are. That's Grand Admiral Thrawn's race. And I actually am using the Chiss as a uh, a faction that is on the side of the of the New Republic. Um, I have a group of Chiss uh, strategists and officers are working with the New Republic military to help them in their battle against the uh, the First Order and the Imperial Remnant. So, because one thing that never again with the sequel trilogy world. Is again, it's just the reincarnated empire, mm-hmm. the reincarnated but weaker, but somehow stronger but weaker empire, um, versus mm-hmm. the new republic, or uh, yeah, the new republic as it's called. Um, mm-hmm. and it never really made sense to me, like, why is there not more several factions within the empire, for example, because obviously mm-hmm. it's split and they're going to be fine for power against each other, but also, where is the hot cartel? in this fight you've got this massive giant Mm -hmm. empire and it's explained in george lucas's expanded universe yes what happens to the hook cartel and why they're not rising to power in this period but Mm -hmm. it's not explained in this it's just like oh the hook cartel they're just they're not even 
I don't, I don't, I don't remember nary a mention of her maybe once or something. I'm not too sure. Yeah. Well, and you know, people, there have been people who have made the argument, well, with the new media that they're putting out, they're fleshing out the universe. But here's the thing. When the expanding universe, the old EU, as I, as I term it, was created, it was a sandbox for creatives of all sorts to come and play in. You didn't need the expanded universe to understand the broader story of the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. Now, granted, one of the bigger parts of the of the EU that was created was the Clone Wars series, both the animated series of comic books that Dark Horse Comics had in publication at the time. Yeah, but it's not mandatory. That, exactly. It's not mandatory. It's optional. But what current Lucasfilm has missed is what they're doing is they're creating media that is mandatory for you to understand the rest of the universe. The original trilogy and the prequel trilogy stand on their own. You can watch episodes one through six and you can get a cohesive story, even though depending on your perspective, some of the installments might be weaker than others. But that was what the e old expanded universe did well. Now people have made the have made the argument well there wasn't a cohesive structure. To a degree, there wasn't necessarily supposed to be one. The expanded universe was a place where people could come and play and create create their own stories, and the stories did not necessarily have to interconnect. They could take yeah. place within the Star Wars universe, sure. But it didn't have to go in chronological order with the with the the six. George saga Lucas or those close to George Lucas will come along and kind of make it connect. That's how you may need to. Yeah, if you and if change this a little bit, you may need to um, add this kind of thing, and so just mm -hmm. so it all connects. They they dealt with outside, so the creators didn't have to worry yeah, exactly. themselves as to how much it connects. They would just create something. George Lucas would come in and say. This doesn't fit, this doesn't fit, this doesn't fit. And it still was a bit messy, no, no doubt. Um, but it didn't matter that it was messy to anybody because you're wasn't... kind of constructing your own universe by picking the stories. And exactly. You've got your because, own kind of... Yeah, exactly. Because the, the thing for me with the Star Wars universe is Lucas was the seed from which it, which all of it sprang because of his love of the serials back in the 30s and 40s and 50s and his love of mythology and all those other influences upon his life. Everybody else has come into this universe and is playing with it or was playing with it. And they are still they still are. I'll, I'll correct myself there. But what the old expanding universe did well is it gave everybody a chance to add their voice to this universe and whether it meshed with the six movies didn't matter. It could or it couldn't. And that wasn't a problem for everyone. What modern, as I mentioned, what modern day Lucasfilm is doing is they're using the, the expanded universe formula to fill in the plot holes and gaps and they're using the expanded universe formula also to retcon what they're doing. And unfortunately they're not doing it particularly well because they've already yanked two 
ideas from the old expanding universe to retcon issues within the sequel trilogy, one in particular, the origin of Snoke, which I don't know how much you keep up on that rogue, but they essentially have said that Snoke was cloned or created from Luke's severed hand that he lost in his duel with Vader in Empire Strikes Back. Oh, I didn't know that. I've, I'm not, you're right, I'm not up to date. I've kind of, yeah, and I kind of, uh, and I and I hey I don't blame you. I mean I barely keep up on the new canon. I I like I said I I watch what I feel is entertaining and of interest to me. The rest I just ignore. But they lib- they pretty much deliberately yanked the idea from the first Thrawn trilogy, which was uh, written by Timothy Zahn. It was actually many people consider the kickoff for the expanded universe in a lot of ways. The story takes place, I think, like four or five years after the events of return of the Jedi, uh, there is this clone of this mad Jedi master, uh, Joris Sobayoth who kept cloning himself, but the clones kept going mad. And what the clone does is, is it was able to find Luke's hand and create a clone of Luke from it. Yeah, and in the in the in the final book of the Thrawn trilogy, Luke, Luke Skywalker proper and his clone against well, uh, him and another character, Mara Jade, if you're familiar with her, uh, fight against the clone of Luke and Jorah Subayoth, and Mara Jade ends, ends up killing the clone. But what? Lucasfilm is doing now is they are essentially just cherry picking ideas out of the old expanded universe to fill in their shoddy writing. Yeah. Uh, well, they I was claiming the there's not enough material as well in the expanded universe. They yeah. simultaneously say this. Well, it's, it's like, well, you're, you're taking and bastardizing ideas out of the expanded universe while you say this. It's, it makes no sense. Yeah. And um, the other. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. I thought you were... um, Just this. This was another plot point that they that they use, particularly in Rise of Skywalker, to explain how Emperor Palpatine exists was still alive. There was another expanded universe story. It was a comic book series called uh, Dark Empire. Um, don't know if you're familiar with it, but there's a concept in there where Palpatine transferred his consciousness from his body on the second death star into another body across the, uh, across the galaxy. Yeah. It was and a highly controversial this... because some, it was a very Marmite, you know, like kind of thing where it's either you love it or you hate it kind of thing between people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you know, personally, I love dark empire. I loved it. Sequel dark empire too. And there was a conclusion called empire's end. I did enjoy that story arc. Because for, the, for me, it's not official canon. It's just expanded universe. It doesn't break the narrative that Lucas told yeah. in his canon canonized. He always story. said that the the expanded mm-hmm. universe is separate from his story. He said, yeah. it obviously, he's, he he doesn't consider it canon himself. He may influence ideas in it, but mm-hmm. to himself, he has his own kind of idea of what the history of Star Wars is and everything like that. And obviously he cannot um, tell it because realistically 
if it's not from George Lucas, it's not true authentic Star Wars. Everything else is mm -hmm. a form of fan fiction, whether it's got the stamp of approval or not. Because mm -hmm. um, being a creator of it, um, people can get kind of close to his vision. Mm -hmm. But they, if it's not his vision, and it's just how I mainly see it, it's not true, true Star Wars, even, even though it can be very, very good. Yes. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah, because there are a lot of people, like I mentioned, authors, comic book writers, video game designers, the whole the whole shoot and match. They have added their own voice to the Star Wars universe through various forms of media. And you can say, OK, this is canon, but this isn't. And it doesn't necessarily break the the the, the narrative flow of the story that was told in the uh, the first six movies. Um, so that for me is why I, when I watch anything that is connected to the sequel trilogy or could potentially be connected to the sequel trilogy, I view it as like new expanded universe, although to a certain degrees, not as good of quality, but there are aspects of it that are of quality like the mandalorian it does tell a very interesting story it does expand the universe it does introduce new characters that who themselves are intriguing mm -hmm. it introduces old characters that we haven't seen in a long time and gives them new life particularly with the character of boba fett yes. i i when i saw nobody uh, can season... say anymore that boba, boba fett does nothing and he's not badass Nobody yes. can say that anymore. It's, it's those nope. days are gone. We'd have to hear that ever again. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Boba Fett. Robert Rodriguez made Boba Fett a badass, mm. and he uh, also made Pete... Jango Fett, Fett such a badass as well. Though, so really, mm -hmm. absolutely, he he totally he just played Jango Fett, but an older, more to steal my own show name here, Rogue. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, more rogue than than Django Fett even was in terms yeah. of like his, if I was still sticking to the creed, but he's still very, very rough, rough around the edges. Oh yeah, guy. Yeah, well, and brilliant. I and I will I will admit when they dropped that little post credit scene at the end of uh, season two for the book of Boba Fett, I am very very. Very intrigued to see what direction they go and go in oh, with yeah. that series. I will most because... definitely be obtaining that um, somehow. <laughs> yeah. um, you've got this pulled up. I'm assuming you did for for a reason. So by all means. Um... Oh yeah, this is just um, from what you were talking about before, like George Lucas's motivations with Star Wars and such. And I find mm -hmm. this very short clip from an interview he did back sure. in 2014, where he talks about the meaning of it and how he came up with the idea kind of thing and the, the, the lesson he wants to convey. And I just wanted to play it very shortly. Sure. Yeah, um, sure. Absolutely. And just kind of um, say a piece on it and then the, the Star Wars conversation on that note, because um, just to kind of get his input without him being here would be great if he was on my podcast, but it's never going to happen. So. <laughs> I don't think that's ever going to happen for anybody, but so, but yeah, I, I hardly agree with you. So go ahead. Hmm. You forgot to share the sound. Oh, I always do this. 
don't feel bad. I have done it myself on a few occasions, so you're not the first one to do it. <laughs> you always got to click that little pesky share audio tab down at the bottom. You'd think they would make that just a little bit bigger so you would notice it. Absolutely, yeah. That's the, uh, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, Can you hear it now? Uh, Star Wars, I had an idea to do yeah. this. Uh, you could turn it up a little bit if you want to. I had about psychological motifs that are in mythology i mean in the video player on uh on youtube there yeah it's not very oh is it okay okay Uh, that's all right may have to how how quiet is it just so i know um uh i can i could hear it so if you want to go and just play the clip play the clip and i can i'll I'll, just listen i'll extend the sound in the audio editor um (laughs) that's fine and then they got then you got star wars yeah when i was trying to pitch uh, Star Wars, I had an idea to do this kind of uh, film. I was curious. I just an idea I had about psychological motifs that are in mythology and if they're still accurate today because the great thing about mythology is an oral medium up until they learned how to write. But before that, with Homer and everybody, they would just tell the story. They go to people's houses, tell the story, get a free dinner, and that's how they made their livings. And then it passed down from father to son, father to son, and it, again, told the people what the rules are. You know, it's the same thing as a church and the, all the things we got that make us a community that we all believe in and share is what they use to go from a family to a tribe and from a tribe to a city uh, and then to a country. Uh, and so I said, I wonder if people still think the way they thought then. And um, I think I proved that they do. As a psychological motive, yeah. it's the same. I mean, it was just, kind of thing, even though it's not in Star Wars, but when you're telling a story that there's a boring part and everybody's sleeping, you say, well, let's cut that yeah. out. And so you do. And then you say, well, this thing about where he falls in love with his mother and then he wants to kill his father, everybody likes that part. <laughs> so then you keep that part in. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they didn't really know what they were doing. They were just getting responses from the audience. And it wasn't until Freud came along that people realized that, oh, these are psychological but he's been around for a long time. And they're just as strong today. But it's a lot about good and evil. It's a lot about heroes. It's about good and evil. But heroes, what makes a hero? What's friendship? What's the idea of sacrificing yourself for something larger? They're all really basic things. They say, well, we don't have to make a movie about that. It's very obvious. But it's actually not. It's not that obvious to a lot of people, unless you have somebody tell you every generation that this is what our country believes in. So this is what we believe in. And with Star Wars, it was... You know, the religion, the everything was so um, taken and put into a form that was easy for everybody to accept so it didn't fall into a, a contemporary mode where you could argue about it. Uh, it went everywhere in the world because they could say, oh, the things I believe in are the same as that. Most people in the world believe exactly the same thing. They and share the same. They share the same beliefs. It's, it they want to do well by their children. They want to well, it's, live it's a good life. It's they something wanna... that I came up That The idea of why do we think the way we think? Why do we do what we do? Why do we form our society the way we find it? It was something I did when I was about eight years old with my mother when she was putting me to bed. I asked her a question. I said, Mom, if there's only one God, why are there so many religions? And it's a question that is fascinating to me ever since. You know, and if you really look at it and you say, well, most people say, well, what's the difference between a Shia and a, and a Sunni? What's the difference between a Catholic and a, and a Protestant? Well, they're not any different. 
or we all believe in the Jewish God. But what about the Jewish God and the gods that came before? And the, you know, Buddha is a little bit different, but in the end, if you think of it as one God, you say, well, everybody expresses it differently, but it's still, you know, basically don't but kill God people. many faces. And be compassionate and love people. And so that's basically all Star Wars is. I guess I, yeah, very, um, libertarian values is the entire well, yeah. point. Well, values we, can all, we all mm -hmm. learn as children, not, you know, don't hit people, yeah. don't take their stuff. That kind of thing. Yeah, very true. Well, you know, it's interesting because I don't know if you know this or not. George Lucas himself is actually a Buddhist. Oh, I didn't know that. No. I, I... Yeah. Um, I, someone I was talking with online not too long ago actually brought up the fact that he is he is Buddhist. He's not. I'm thinking he's not more Catholic. from maybe an agnostic or something of sorts. You know, like a mm -hmm. leaning Buddhist. atheist kind of thing. Wow. Okay. So, which. It doesn't terribly surprise me, and it doesn't by any means offend me. It's his belief system, and I respect that. So, but you know, it's it's interesting. A couple of things that he said in that in that clip, when when he asked his mother, "Well, mom, if there's only one, if there's only one God, I forget exactly how he said it, but when there's he only one question, God, God, why the so many religions? religions?" It kind of goes back to that concept of the hero with many faces. It's the it's the concept of the god with many names. For myself, it is well because I have studied Hebrew and I am biblical Hebrew. Let me be specific: ancient biblical Hebrew, not modern Hebrew. I acknowledge God by the name I have learned to call him by in Hebrew, Elohim, or Yahweh, which is both used within the Ju uh, Judaism and, and Christianity, both. For the Muslim, it is Allah. For the Buddhist and for every other Eastern, Eastern religion, they have their own name. But we all believe in this being whether you regard it, regard that being as male or female or without gender. And that's a possibility too. But we all believe in this being that is the origin point for all of existence mm -hmm. and where from where we came from even. And it kind of goes back to this idea of exploring the themes of faith in the fictional realm and the themes that he brings up self-sacrifice and redemption and reconciliation are all within the star Wars mythos. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, one of the things I discuss in, or that's one of the plot points of my fan fiction, they Luke and his group come across these records that describe how the ancient force wielders, ordered themselves how they functioned as a society essentially and they did not view the force in terms of light and dark but as one but at some point that split happens which led to a great rift and which led to a a conflict an armed conflict 
that came down to ideological differences on the on how the force is perceived mm-hmm. and essentially luke and his group discovered these records and they finally realized for generations upon end people that have a connection to the force have always been taught you can only see it in this aspect light or dark but the very early earliest adherents to the force or wielders of the force only saw it as unified and that is so, a theme right yeah go ahead oh, oh sorry no i didn't mean to cut you off uh, it's it's okay. say, i was going to say very quickly so is it some of your babylon 5 influence here and thinking long term and how psyche will change the evolution of thinking um the way i frame it within my story is there was a council that was formed way back when, and that kind of was a was a loose ruling body of over the entire force wielder society. They looked to him for guidance, they looked to him for advice, and so on. But they weren't like a formal government. They had no formal centralized government. That wasn't the purpose of council per se. The council from my perspective within my story was meant to be they they were a group that would explore various aspects of the force and then pass along that knowledge to others but unfortunately as time went on and the when the great schism happened the function and the reason for the council changed parents parents and children could decide how they would study the force before and the council had no say or anything within that but at a point it became considered forbidden or taboo to view the force as unified where you only operate by your own strict by your own moral code as to how you use the force because you could essentially use the force in self-defense to kill so there's kind of an evolution there in terms of like the jedi start off as a very more um an They're more moralistic thing and very yeah very um yeah value driven mm-hmm. to and they were not uh, mobs of emotion that was another big thing stages of grasping more and more power to the point to become nothing more than a tool of the republic and eventually obviously because that's where the movies go so it's kind of like stages exactly of, it's yeah. kind of that Nietzsche kind of view of the um life is about seizing power like life gravitates mm-hmm. towards this idea of expanding mm-hmm. power in a sense yes um yeah okay because what's going to happen with my story is that the force wielders will no longer be within the structure of the the new republic government mm-hmm. they will be a body unto themselves and they will function as they were meant to in the in eons past within the star wars universe they can be called upon if the republic does need their aid but they can also have the right to decline okay because in my story there is an epilogue it's not a terribly long epilogue but i do have an epilogue where luke does eventually retire 
he does go off to live his life and he is still there he is like a he is like he's still a guide for the 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 new force wielder order but other people will come into roles of leadership as time goes on ray being one of those ben finn and so on because they will go off into the galaxy and they will search out other um force wielders and they will teach them as they were taught to view not the force as light or dark but as unified and there will finally be balance within the force wielder order and that great war will finally be rectified is a mm-hmm. interesting um because right now as i mentioned in my last podcast with um mm-hmm. with recovered which will be released just before this one mm-hmm. the, i mentioned how right now i'm reading the book uh the denial of death by mm-hmm. a child psychologist named um, Ernest Becker from the last century um, and how the um, humans are largely moved by a anxious, underlying anxious, whether it's conscious or unconscious fear of death, Mm -hmm. apart from those who are indoctrinated to not fear death, which would be like kind of the... um, to not fear death as much, at least anyway, people like who are mainly people who are religious. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and how this kind of idea uh, can easily corrupt us. And it also talks a little bit about the, from what I've read so far, the early mythology um, of humans was about people going into the world of death mm-hmm. and making it back out, yeah. which eventually evolved to, um, which is also shown uh, even with Jesus, whether you can, whether you can, like people consider myth or um, a real um, event person, yeah, event. I don't yeah. want to say person because he's okay, a he's real person, more, yes, yeah, yeah. You, you know, a real, um, yeah, being. Um, he also goes to the afterlife and comes back. He can't, yes. in, in that, in, in a sense, conquers death in that way. But how that eventually evolved to heroes who. Um, don't go to the underworld. They avoid going to the underworld by fighting for their life in the in the, uh, the present, in the in present, the, in, yeah. in the now. In the, yeah, in the now. Uh, this evolution of that and, and um, just an interesting uh, evolution again of, of mythology, which kind of mm-hmm. you could really st- when you look at, at in Star Wars at the old Jedi, they kind of. If they're studying the Force, they would very much be exploring the the idea of what comes after, and maybe yes. exploring it and coming back. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where you get that particular story arc within season six of the Clone Wars, where Yoda goes on this very spiritual journey. It's it's a very unconventional Star Wars story by far, but and you can definitely see the touches of Lucas's. Um, influence on that particular story because you have no big punch-ups or space battles or anything like that this is a very introspective journey it's a very unconventional story you could even make the argument that it's very experimental within the star wars universe but that's what lucas was first and foremost about experimental storytelling if you look at his very earliest work particularly the first movie he ever released 
1138, which I recently had the opportunity to watch. It was um, it's on currently on HBO Max. I sat down and watched it and I had to I had to take a break from it for a little bit because it was very heavy because I was getting what he was trying to say. But I needed to take time to digest it and then go back and finish it. It's very abstract. It is extremely abstract and, and and so on. But I got what he was trying to say, and I did resonate with it. Not just because it was George Lucas, but because the story itself is very intriguing, where you live in a world where emotion is forbidden. And it's definitely something that he carries over into the Star Wars universe, particularly with the Jedi, because they are taught to deny all emotion. But yeah. in my story... That is something that Luke and his group with the with Ben and Finn and Ray and so on, they learn not to cut themselves off from their emotions. They learn to embrace them and to cope with them. Yeah. And not allow them to destroy themselves. Because if you think about Anakin and his fall and his corruption, he comes into the Jedi Order at a less an opportune moment. He's very anxious. He's very anxiety-ridden because he's been separated from his mother now. And he is thrust into the, a course of events that are beyond his understanding as a child at that time. And if you look at how he behaves with anyone outside of the Jedi Order, which is essentially just Obi-Wan, He's very awkward. He's very nervous. He's very anxious. He doesn't have very good people skills. And that's why a lot of people criticize Anakin's dialogue, particularly in Attack of the Clones and to a certain degree, Revenge of the Sith. But if you look at this from a particular perspective, Anakin does not know how to talk to women. No, He has no, he has no, people skills outside of the people his his cultural circle and that is obviously the jedi and his closest friend his mentor his teacher his brother quote unquote obi-wan kenobi and the other the only other semi-healthy relationship that he has is with palpatine but palpatine is, is essentially the devil in this entire story he's hanging this story of how hey Anakin I can teach you how to save the people you love from death but then it's joined out from underneath him and now he's trapped in this walking sarcophagus for the next 20 or 30 years until he becomes death yeah essentially yeah he becomes the very thing that he was trying to prevent he causes his own wife the the, the one true love of his life to die very much and so. there's there's a particular line of dialogue that I have when Finn is talking to the Force Ghost of Anakin. Just a little little plot point in my story, Finn is actually a Force wielder, which if you haven't picked up on that, and Finn asks him about the nature of the Force because Anakin is saying to him, "Hey, you know, we could teach you." And Finn makes the comment, "Well, look what happened to you." He's like, "Yes, I know what happened to me." But I've learned from that and I can teach you how to avoid what happened to me. And he's like, well, is there anything I'm kind of paraphrasing here? He asked him, is there anything that Palpatine said to you that was true? And Anakin said, yes, there is one thing that Palpatine said to me that was absolutely true. 
To understand the great mystery of the Force, you must study all its aspects, not just the narrow dogmatic teachings of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Palpatine was not lying to, to Anakin in that particular moment. I actually really like that particular line of dialogue because there is a thread of truth within it. There's a thread of truth in much of the Sith ideology. It's it's only yes. the lack of you know, they have their own morality, but it's mm-hmm. very it's twisted. very bent. Yeah, yeah they it's very bent or twisted. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of this kind of uh, concept that I see in, in especially in Anakin Skywalker stories. This idea of cause, and like like I alluded to earlier, Anakin is an individual trapped. In a very collective mindset, yes, order. I would agree. Uh, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. And he struggles with the idea of um, of the Jedi's concept of equality. Like he can't fathom that. He can't deal with it. Hence, he wants to be the hero. He wants. Mm-hmm. He knows he's more skilled than everybody else. He really. He, he puts his ego ahead of everybody else, and in some ways, rightly so. Um. Because he would, because of his skills, uh, are far greater than, than than everybody else's. But obviously, the Jedi are trying to teach him caution, but they're also trying to keep him at the same level as everybody else, which is something very antithetical to the Sith idea of embrace your embrace your passion, embrace your strengths, use your strengths. Embrace, yeah. mm-hmm. They they take individuals to this very Nietzsche Sternerite mixture of and and take it to the extreme. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's a very kind of, in a sense, anarchic, anarchic mindset of I bow to no authority but my own. It's a very twisted anarchy, um, mm-hmm. but also is um, the the some of the, the gripes of the Sith, particularly against the Jedi and such. Some of it is ground in truth, yes, but is used and to. That's... It's very much twisted to suit their own. Um, Evil, although they don't see it that way, their own evil mm-hmm. view of the um, of the galaxy of 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 um, the of life. Um, mm-hmm. Just to okay, so how long until your project will be done? Do you think? Um, I'm shooting for September because I want to give myself enough time to write this, give it a good edit, and then. I'm Have going to do um, the messes. She's a, she's <laughs> a real, she's, she, anything I, anything I've written, especially when I was going through my seminary education, she was my editor on my papers to make sure they were grammatically correct, that they had good structure, that the punctuation, all that sort of stuff was Excellent. on point. And she is herself also a writer. So she knows how to look at uh, fiction writing and say, you need to tighten this up. You need this needs to be cut out, or this needs to be needs to be um, needs to be phrased better. So, how about this? If you uh, want to, you can plug your channel, like plug mm-hmm. your um, what, like why people go to, should go to your channel, what you've got coming up. But also, mm-hmm. if you want to, you can plug your wife's books if she's a fiction writer. And well, she's not published. She's 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 an un- she's an unpublished, but she's working on her own stuff too. Um, but yeah, my, my channel is called the ambassadorial wing. Uh, as I mentioned at the start, I cover pop culture, modern and retro. I do movie reviews. I do TV show reviews. 
um, I'm like I said, I'm working on my 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 project to the my Star Wars fan fiction, The Unity of the Force. I'm actually going to be turning it into a online uh, radio drama, for lack of a better term. Um, I'm going to be casting it and everything because the one thing that I really feel that the Star Wars community is lacking is a sense of unity and cohesion. And I, I, that's the other reason why I wanted to keep this as a Star Wars fan fiction to say to the, this community that I have been a part of majority of the majority of my life is this is a universe we all inhabit that we all love. And there are aspects of it that we all can enjoy. And I want to see some healing, although there seems to be, some healing and some reconciliation between within the different factions or sections of the Star Wars fandom currently. But this project, I want it to be inclusive. I want it to be a, I want it to be a story that people want to get involved in. I've already had numerous people that I've told about this that say, Hey, I'd like to play a part in your, in your story. I'll be like, as soon as I'm done with it, I will, reach out to them, but I'm going to be doing like a online press junk and I'm going to get a hold of some of my friends who have channels that are bigger than mine or about the same size as mine and say, Hey, I'm doing this and I'd like y'all to be involved in it. Um, like I said, the majority of the content I cover on my channel is from a positive perspective. I don't go negative, but I do, but I am critical. I am, I don't try to be Mr. Mary sunshine all the time. If something's good, I will say so, and I try to give a fair and honest criticism of the content I cover. And I talk about the stuff that I enjoy rather than the stuff I hate. So that's that's why I've built this community the way I have. That's why I've crafted it the way I have, because I want it to be a place where we can come together and celebrate this thing that we call pop culture and explore it in all of its various facets. That's why I turn. That's why I called it the Ambassador Wing because it is a place where ideas are exchanged between people from various backgrounds and cultures and so on. Okay, that's so. perfect. Yeah, and your Twitter is uh, my Twitter is Ambassador Kosh Seven. Okay. I tried to. I still kept the uh, the the ambassador Kosh from Babylon Five because he is one of my favorite characters from that show, but also one of my favorite characters within science fiction. So. I'll certainly be uh, checking out. You kind of sold Babylon Five to me when we spoke about it earlier, so mm -hmm. I need something to watch. So I'm gonna be definitely mm -hmm. checking that out. Absolutely. Um, so, everyone, um, thank you for tuning into this episode of Rogue Liberty. Um, I have some great stuff coming up for this channel. I have some plans for this channel and the, the things that are going to happen. Um, and I also, yeah, I really hope to ha do more, a few more things with Ambassador in the future, particularly um, with uh, around Star Wars roundtable yes. discussion, something like this would be great mm -hmm. um, to discuss the good things about Star Wars, the lessons, the themes, not the um, things that divide us um, within it. So, uh, yeah, everyone, please like, subscribe, uh, hit that notification bell. Um, if you're coming from Ambassador's channel, um, be aware that this is not a kind of pop culture thing. This is very much aimed towards people who 
uh, value liberty, whether you're libertarian or not, as long as you value liberty, you're critical of um, all coercive power, then you will find value in this. But otherwise, don't subscribe and then complain to me later that I said something that you didn't like. <laughs> um, it's happened to me. Don't feel bad. <laughs> so, yeah, find me at Rogue Liberty One. And if, you, if you're working on anything, let me know. I may be happy to stick you on this podcast. Uh, and, yeah, please like and subscribe. Uh, follow me on any podcast show.